Hello, ski racing fans, and welcome to the American Downhillers podcast, season three, episode number five. Today's podcast is all about Kitzbühel, the Hanukkah, the strife, the Super Bowl of ski racing. I'm two-time Olympian Doug Lewis and had a career best fifth place at Kitzbühel in 1986 and also never crashed on the strife, which is a win in itself. Joining us is AJ Kitt, who raced to a second place in Kitzbühel in 1992, just getting eked out by Franz Heinzer. Marco Sullivan, who fought his way to a sixth place showing at Kitzbühel in 2008. And Darren Rawls, who still is the only American downhiller to win the downhill at Kitz back in 2003. Interestingly, over today's special guest. And as our special guest, we have a racer that has five Olympic and World Championship medals, 21 World Cup victories, including a record five wins on the stripe. Please welcome the king of kits, Didier Kush. Didier, where are you and did you get to ski today? I'm in Switzerland right now and uh, I'm living in the north part of Switzerland. It's not really the Alps and uh, there is actually no snow. It's green. Some thousand meter. Uh, we don't have any snow gun. So we are still waiting on uh, on the winter. We could go for two weeks, but then uh, the half meter of snow just gone with the with the rain. It's too sad. But the rest of Switzerland is really uh, a lot of snow, and um, I'm trying go going uh, some some other places to ski. Well, we don't have any snow uh, at all either, so we're right with you. But I wanted to jump into Kitzbühel. What was your first impression of the strife as a young ski racer when you heard of it? or the first time down inspection, that first impression, what was it like? Uh, first, uh, it starts when you drive to Kitzbühel, you know where you're going, but you not, don't really know how it looks like. And uh, after the first uh, inspection, I thought to myself, oh yeah, it's pretty pretty steep. Uh, um, kind of uh, had a lot of respect, but I, I thought uh, it's gonna be okay. But the problem started when uh, we did the first training run uh, from the top five in the first training run, four went down and three had to go to hospital with the helicopter. And uh, okay. I started to be really scared. I had about number around 40 and I said to myself, how, how should I survive that if all the best guys are crashing down there? So it started to be horrible at the start. AJ, your first impression seeing the strife. Yeah, I mean, you know, we uh, in my early years on the team, we had a lot of bad weather. So like the first two or three years, we thought we would go to race in, the, in Kitzbühel. And then there wasn't wasn't enough snow or it was raining or something. So we didn't go. But in preparation, we would watch video from the previous year from the race just to try to get in our mind, know what the course was going to be like. Right. So finally, when we went there uh, and I got on the hill, it was it was nothing like you could see on television. And I was really shocked at how narrow it was um, and how steep. And I mean, when we train, you know, we set courses and we train turns like this, but you can't, you can't set anything or train a course like the mouse fly, like the style hung and like the turn onto the road. I mean, there was just nothing that I'd ever seen that was like that with the off camber and the, and the hill rolling away from you like a basketball. And so, yeah, it was completely foreign to me. Um, and it was like Didier said, it was just like, how do I survive this? That's all I can do is just go from start to finish and try to survive. I don't even care how fast I go. Um, and so, you know, as you ski it more and more, you learn how to, how to ma manage the strange terrain and, and, and uh, the uniqueness of that course. Marco. When I, I always thought Kitzbühel was such a 
a cool track. You're the first time seeing it. It's just so unique. And I had the fortune of uh, being coming in there as like a full full of confidence. I, I had an early start number on my first training, and I think I started number two because I was had a good race in Lake Louise, and um, I was like, I whatever, I can attack this thing. And then I was one of those guys who was in the in the fence right after Houseburg landed. There was like a fog bank and went on the right footer and just cartwheeled to the fence right there. And that was that was it for my first year at Kidspiel. So over the years, I definitely grew a lot more respect for it and, and you know, grew to love it. And uh, but it was a, a harsh wake up call there. The first run. Yeah, my first impression was pretty cool. It was uh, without snow uh, at that time. Eddie Wahlberger, my serviceman. We knew I was going to go in and start racing downhill the next season. And I was uh, ninety nine. So actually the season after DDA's first win in 98, um, that summer, I went out there and we walked the hill, you know, uh, just down in the green grass. And now it's pretty cool. If you go there to Kitsville in the Hanukkah with a stripe, they have permanently set gates, like metal gates in the summer for people to get an idea of where the course kind of goes. And at, back then there wasn't anything on the hill. So Eddie would stand, like say I'm Malsifale, right on the takeoff. And he's like, this is the place you're going to take off, you know, and I kind of be walking down to him. And, and I was able to like pretty much review the whole track, top to bottom on the hill. You know, had uh, pet some cows on the way down by sidelong. And uh, I think the one thing that blew me away was how steep it was. Like, you know, when snow gets on a mountain, it flattens things out a little bit and takes away some of the terrain. But Mousafala in the summertime, you could stand on that hill sideways and put your elbow out and touch the dirt. It is that steep. When I got to Kitsville the first season in 99 for me to race it, it, it seemed a little more tame than it was uh, just with grass. So, But every every first train run was was like just make it down clean, put a solid run down, survive this first one. Then um, I'd always feel like I just gave up a little too much and, you know, a little too much respect. And so the next train run was was a little more like, getting after it and a little more confident. Didier, talk about the mental factor at Kitzbühel. Did you stand in the starting gate at Kitzbühel with a different mentality and how did you overcome the nerves or possibly the fear? I think in, in Kitzbühel, uh, uh, you have to know before you start to where are your own limits and where is the limit of, of, of the course. And uh, if you overpass one of these two, uh, it's not uh, it's not the best way to go down because uh, you're really you will be really close close to to crash, and I think uh, being being conscious that uh, that those two limits exist and uh, find how close you can go to to them, and especially with the inspection, uh, very exact inspection helps you to uh, be a bit more confident. But then start the training runs or or the race, and uh, it's so much going on there. Sometimes you hear the helicopter. You don't know if it's the is it the TV station or if it's a crash, and then you have to focus again on yourself. And uh, yeah, it's uh, it's really hard to to be um, to be concentrated. But uh, the twenty minutes before the start, uh, I never I never hear uh, any uh, anybody who was laughing or uh, I think there was the most quiet start uh, you have seen on the World Cup tour. Uh, 20 minutes before you you started where everybody's going to make himself ready to go jump in did you ever crash at kids fuel 
No, I never crashed. Uh, once uh, in the compression after the Mauserfalle, my my butt hit the the binding and I jumped back again up. And uh, once I did the bit the body mirror style uh, going into the 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 road after the Steilang, and that was actually my first training run. And uh, I lost uh, at that run. I lost eight and a half seconds, but uh, my my arms went. Uh, going through the finish line in the air like I was a winner, and everybody was <laughs> laughing down in the finish. And sometimes it's just about making it to the finish line after a run like that. When exactly. You, when you came off Mausafale and uh, got compressed in that compression, was that one of your race runs or was that a training run? Uh, can't remember now. I think, I think it was a training run. No, it was the race because I wanted to took uh, right after the landing. I was to stay in, in took in the compression and you have less tension in the body when you when you took you try to glide and I think I had no more not, not enough tension in the legs and I, I it smashed me down but as soon as I was down I was up lost a bit of the line to the next turn to the to the 180 turn uh, but it didn't lost so, so much time of that but that was a very scary moment was that a winning run of yours no no that wasn't one of the wins no. I was going to say, like, maybe you just got, it's like a horse getting a spur, you know, on the butt, just like, bam, you know, like, I got to wake up and go. Yeah, exactly. And, that was a wake up call. Yeah. But talking about Mousefoley, I mean, you, you're just, I think, the best in the air off Mousefoley, that first jump. Like, your last couple of years, you would have this, like, jump where you'd stay so compact and little, like, I mean, the best position. And halfway through, you felt so comfortable and balanced, you could grab a full tuck in the air let the landing gear the legs drop out a little bit stick that landing and and uh you just see the kind of the eye of the tiger kush's yeah. eye of the tiger right there from the get-go and i mean was that, just, uh, was that planned or was that just kind of like a natural move for you because it seemed like that was your thing the last couple seasons yeah first uh i was starting to do that almost every jump i tried to do that every jump and i learned that from who from you darren you were the you were the boss on that, and uh, you coached me that, and I said I want to do that. And uh, finally, it almost comes by every jump. You can see also the Ausberg countdown. Uh, sometimes I I was also uh, doing that, but uh, I didn't plan to do it. It, it was because I was always uh, um, trying to uh, to make it, and uh, it came it came like uh, like it came. Yeah, it just seems so natural. I mean, I tried it a lot of times, but you perfected that move. I would love to hear, um, did you inspect Kitzbühel differently than any other course, Didier? Uh, it was a very intense uh, inspection. And um, one of my, I remember of the victory of 2011, if you see the, the Traverse film down from the finish area, uh, you can see uh, in the gate in the middle of the traverse, I was just uh, taking a few centimeters air to jump over three little row to not having the jalbalam blam. And uh, actually, when I inspect, I said myself, I don't want to do it in uh, in the training rounds because everybody is going to do it doing it in the race. And I just did it in the race, and it, it just worked perfectly. So. I was going for those details by the by the inspection, very intense. And even if it was only one or two hundreds, one or two hundreds, you can win the race or lose the race. So 
that was my focus on the on the inspection every little roll little details in in the beginning of the of the career it was maybe uh, not not very good because you maybe stick too much to the plan you have and uh, you don't let the ski go enough but at the end of the career i was i was able to make that mix between having the control of that little uh, details and and let the ski go that's interesting that you say that i i remember very distinctly when I got second that year, I was very relaxed on my run. I was confident on that hill, obviously, and I was confident with my skiing. And I, I, I've watched my run a few times since, and I, I caught a little air in that same traverse. And it was for me, it wasn't planned at all. It was just I was very relaxed, and I was maybe looking ahead or, or something. I don't remember, but I do remember that that I was hopping a little bit over little bits of terrain in in that traverse section of that course, and so. Um, yeah, I mean, maybe that's a maybe that's a, a fast way to go go over that traverse, or I guess over bumps. If you can skip over them, it's much better than than. What did you say, Shabla blah, blah? Yeah, Shabla blah. Shabla blah. blah, blah. blah, blah. I need to. That, I'm gonna remember that one. Cool. <laughs> I like that one. Many laps too. It's just it's just those instincts that are awesome, you know, that just come to you sometimes. I mean, I love your plan, DDA, in that section, just looking at and and saving something for the race. You know, not revealing everything because um, at times others have revealed and someone else is like picked that up and benefited in the race, a.k.a. Bodie um, one year in the carousel where he just came in super tight, shaved the, you know, the inside of that left footer off and won the training run. But Reichelt came back on race day and did the same thing. And there was no advantage for Bodie there. Um, were there any other specific little moves like that any other year that you remember where you kind of like saved a little line or a little move like that for another race win to win in Kitzbühel uh probably you will see the same uh that uh how you call it the carousel the 180 turns uh you comes from 120 into that carousel and maybe you probably go down to 80 kmh and uh, I think the way you ski this carousel makes your speed through the finish and if you go too tight like you usually the austrian i don't know now i think they changed a bit but a lot of austrian were going really straight in making a sharp turn uh, sliding the skis in pushing hard and making the turns less less uh, distance but lots very less uh, speed and if you ski very well the the the, the steep part the steilang uh, in going to Stalang, out going to Stalang to the road, you have a speed one, two, three kmh more, and you catch you you have that to the finish, and I think that's a big key of uh, of winning Kitzbühel. I was never, almost never, the fastest one going into the road, but I had a good speed there, and I catched up on the road, and then finally through the Ausberg, and uh, Ausberg is the last like is the dessert uh focus on that but the speed you make it up there so you're saying your split wasn't the fastest like exiting style hung but your speed going into the road was really fast and i was the same way i always like focused on that being a really massive like a high priority you know taking the speed onto the road like that was my challenge for myself how can i put up the fastest speed onto the road to take it into the gliding section from there down but that, that was a key part. Maybe you remember last year, uh, uh, Marco Odermatt almost crashed out outgoing from the Steinal. And uh, he was 
pushing really hard and we have a discussion about that and he was fast on the top first split and then uh he he skied the line uh we were discussing at the phone uh day before and uh as just before he made the mistake i was saying okay that's gonna be really fast he's gonna win the race yeah. and soon happened uh it catched catch the edge of the inside ski and almost crash that would have been a really bad crash there so that's interesting you're you're talking to Odermott you're talking to him frequently or just kind of last year prior to the Hanukkah and I mean obviously Odermott's like just incredibly fast and strong skier have you worked with him much uh not really working with him much uh I think last year was his first time in Kitzbühel or second time can't remember that but um we we see each each other a few times a year, uh, never really discussing about uh, skiing. But uh, there we had the exchange per per phone, uh, also a bit about uh, Wengen, how to be fast until the the Hunchopf, and uh, after that we had a short discussion about uh, about Kitzbühel. It's not a really big role uh, like a mantle mantle coach or, or uh, line coaching. It just uh, it was just so punctual. If you've ever dreamed of going to Wengen or Kitzbühel to watch the classic World Cup downhills, the ADL Ski Club is for you. Their small group trips are geared for passionate skiers and big race fans. They take you to the heart of ski racing's biggest races at the Laberhorn, Hanenkamm, and Schladming Night Slalom. Our own AJ Kid has been on both the Wengen and Kitzbühel trips. The ADL has a ton of special access passes to the races parties, and athletes which make the Ski World Cup unique among all professional sports. Now is the perfect time to get your name on the list for this year's Wengen Lauberhorn trip or next year's Kids trip. Visit ADL Ski Club, that's adlskiclub.com and reach out to them to secure your spot. Hey Didier, you raced it so many years and there's been so many different ways. I raced it when there was the Alta Schneise, so it went around the Steildam. You've raced the Steildam, you've raced it from the top, you've raced it from the bottom, or a lower start, you've raced it two run downhills. Uh, describe the different ways you've raced it and what's your, still your favorite. I, I never skied uh, around the Steildam. When I came, it was the one of the first few years they skied the Steildam, which is a jump I really like. It's almost not a jump, you you get the air. But I think uh, Franz Einzer, crashed once really bad there that was the beginning before they make the four table to jump over it like this and um yeah i i have actually good result or victory from every different start uh <laughs> on this hill uh also one uh start from the super g uh but it's still always uh challenging doesn't matter where you start uh so it's, uh, it's always a challenge and uh I liked actually all all the the ways I went down. My first victory was over the slalom hung, like uh, when Reichelt uh, won. There was not enough snow, or they couldn't prepare the, um, the traverse, and uh, there was a victory over the slalom the slalom run. But the, the next day, my my maybe biggest victory it, it was to be second on the next day from the top uh, to the finish, behind uh, Gedina, I think. I was in that race when 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 we had to go around Hausberg and through that road to the slalom hill. Um, that was my last time actually, and um, yeah, it was that was a unbelievably strange way to race Kitzbühel. 
Was that a double run? Yeah, that was, was a double run. Yeah, it was, huh? Yeah. Did you win that run? Did you win that? Did you that day? Uh, that was my first victory in Kitzbühel uh. and my first victory on the World Cup tour. Oh wow! Yeah, and I your was... first podium, right? That was your first time on the podium as well. Yeah, first time podium, first time first victory. As well. Everything yeah. in the same. First, first podium. You win Kitzbühel. Was there a special um, tradition that you had, DDA, coming into Kits, or just something you did a little different, or just something you felt a little different than anywhere else? Actually, after the race, I felt a bit different. That was a tradition <laughs> to go <laughs> to go take a, a few beers in the Londoner. The, the, uh, the we know about that there, one, yeah. yeah. I felt the same way. Driving into Kits, I felt something special. Like something was a little different than anywhere else. No, no, actually, by driving, you start to think a bit of uh, Kitzbühel. I have... Uh, from Switzerland, I have six hour driving there, and you can think a lot when you drive six hour. And maybe the the preparation was starting there, but uh, yeah, trying to be focused. And maybe the one thought was coming with it was like, you never know how it's end in Kitzbühel, uh, podium, victory, good result, or crashing. So enjoy that, enjoy that week, enjoy every second you you are on the hill. And uh, yeah, try to go through, do your best, and uh, looks afterwards uh, how it looks. And uh, even with bad result, I was. Uh, it's maybe the only race hill I was happy uh, or not really happy, but uh, uh, okay with my uh, with my race, even if I was not really fast. Because uh, you you know uh, every second or third year, one is crashing really hard and go go to hospital, uh, finishing season or finishing career. And that's, uh, that's really sad. So you, you can be happy even if you, you're not, not a really good, good result there. Yeah. I throw that question out to AJ, Marco and Louie too, about any traditions you guys had. Louie, you start because then we we go chronologically and see if any of it transfers <laughs> forward. <laughs> um, we always went to the finish or at least I always went to the finish line when we drove in or at least the day before and just looked up and got the feel, the nerves, tried to breathe in the culture for sure. Um, and then for me, inspection on the first day was critical and just taking in as much information as possible. So it's that night before the first training run, being in the moment in that finish area and and thinking of Klammer and, and all the history that was that was what i did yeah and i think the the reason i wanted you to say that louis is to, i had a feeling you'd say that we we did the same we we kind of adopted that tradition from you guys about driving to the finish didn't matter where we were coming from didn't matter what time of day we got in we would always go straight to the finish line before we went to the hotel and we'd stand and we'd look up and it was kind of our way of sort of honoring the course and and also getting our mind ready for what was to come the next few days um you know, we, like I said, we watched a lot of video to try to prepare ourselves for it. But, you know, as much as Kitzbühel requires uh, a certain execution with line and with, you know, your intensity and all that kind of stuff, there's, there's a, a lot of mind frame for me that, that gets into it. It's, uh, you know, for me, it was a little bit of a, a spiritual kind of a thing as well, where, you know, I wanted to be really dialed in to the course and dialed into the, just the whole week. Um, and, and like Didier said, you know, part of that, experience was a big part of it was how you went through the week how you you know the different experiences you had obviously coming out of there with a great result is is really enhances the experience but i've come out of there plenty of times with bad results i crashed one year 
Uh, and it was still a really satisfying week. Uh, it's a great experience. Driving up there has endured for, throughout the years because we did that too. And right, right when we got into town, it's walking up to the finish, kind of taking in the the mystique of Kitzbühel and and uh, yeah, just like all you guys said, it's a special place. That's funny, you know, like that was a culture that kind of just like maybe came down upon us in my, my uh, era, but I didn't even know that Louie or AJ, any of you guys had that tradition. And that was kind of the same thing I did. And I started doing it on my own and I started bringing up like Jake Fiala and a few of those guys on the team, but we'd walk up from the, the start to the last jump and it'd be nighttime, right? And uh, it's dark. There's a first evening we arrive into Kitzbühel and as a way to kind of just feel that energy for the mountain, kind of speak to the mountain a little bit, like, hey, you know, I have full respect for you. Keep me safe. Help me go fast. But I'm going to come out here and try and own you. You know, and that was kind of like the, the mindset. And, and then we'd go down to the Londoner. I'd have a beer and a Jaeger shot. Tell those boys, like, I won't see you till Saturday night, but Didi and I are going to come in here and rock the house down. So, <laughs> and going to that, I remember like the first, you know, inspection, DDA, you and I would catch up maybe about banging or something, you know, just saying, hey, on the first day of inspection, I'd always ask, uh, or I'd basically make a statement saying, like, all right, have a great week, but we'll catch you Saturday night at the Londoner. And I remember one year you said, like, the team, the Swiss team, they, they told me I can't go this time. You know, we got to try and manage, like, staying healthy, and they don't want me going out there. I'm like, you'll be there. And I show up around, like, 1230 in the morning. You're already in the back of the bar. And, <laughs> and just like raging back there. So I think that was like a, a really fun week, a nice way to release, you know, and spend some time with just not my other you know teammates on the U.S. team, but it was more of an international scene. I mean, you, Chetiel Andre Amat, Luke Alphon, Danny Marr, all those guys, you know, the first couple of years. And it just kind of continued. And I've been going back behind the bar every time I go there. Um, you know, Dominic Paris back there and, Johan Clary, Travis Ganong last year it was it was awesome. So that's another tradition to keep alive. And it's a nice tradition, and it's also a, also a preparation of the next year. You can really soak that up, uh, like uh, yeah, you feel like a short moment. You're a rock star when you're winning Kitzbühel and then uh, rocking the the Londoner. And uh, I always soak that up uh, for for the next years and. Uh, Took that as a bigger motivation. Was Kitzbühel your favorite race, you think? Your favorite course? Uh, I always go back on Beaver Creek when somebody asked that because Beaver Creek, uh, I never I, I never won there, but uh, that was also one of the most fun races you can have with all those terrains, uh, that steep part. Not every, uh, every single turn is different than the one before and uh, big jumps and... Uh, Kitzbühel for sure, it makes fun, but uh, the fun starts really when you cross the fi cross the finish line and you see you you have a good result or you are safe down. Before that, uh, it's it's not always fun. That was my my point of view. You had five wins. You're the all time winner in Kitzbühel. It was uh, 98, 2008, 2010, 2011, 2012, three years in a row. And I think one of the more like, I mean, the standout wins for me in your career was your last one. You announced your retirement two days before, I think, yeah. uh, leading to that and just saying, hey, you know, I want to go out on the top. And I had kind of a similar retirement where I announced my retirement at Beaver Creek. 
going into the season and and won that race a couple days later that was that was a pretty incredible feeling but is there one that stands out and then were you trying to like make that announcement let everybody know to just like put a little more pressure on yourself and make it a little more special that last that last race actually actually the the story started uh, a week before in Lengen. i i was ready to uh, go for the podium or win i never won there three times second and I, I had the the opportunity to win, but I pushed too hard, make too many mistake, and I was fifteenth. And in the finish area, I was first mad, but then I realized I was sad because uh, I didn't realize before the start that it was my last run in Switzerland on the Lauberhorn. And uh, I didn't want to come in Kitzbühel and not announcing it that I'm gonna retire end of season, and making it uh, maybe change my mind uh, because of skiing one more year or not because of the result of Kitzbühel. If I would have win, I would say, oh, it's so cool. I continue to ski. I like that. And if I would make bad result, I would say, ah, I can't quit like this. I want to come back. So that's why I said it's two days before the race, make it uh, very special and uh, honored to, uh, I was really honored to win one more race uh, in special conditions. Snowy at the end, uh, really hard to be fast on the top uh, flat section because we started from the road. And uh, finally, I made it in a, in a Finnish uh, traverse over the Ausberg and uh, got the fifth uh, fifth victory, who, who was the the record uh, for after after Klammer had four. Hey, Doug Lewis here, and I want to talk about the American Downhiller Speed Camp. American Downhiller is the leader in teaching young ski racers how to go fast and have fun. 2023 will mark the sixth annual American Downhiller Speed Skills Camp in Mammoth Mountain. Our speed camp is coached exclusively by current and former World Cup racers and coaches who are passionate about helping the next generation of athletes achieve their dreams. We specifically focus on aerodynamics, jumping technique, speed tactics, and the mental training required to safely navigate Super G and downhill race courses. If you are a ski racer who wants to go fast, check out our website, americandownhiller.com for all specific camp dates. We've all been at the start at Kitzbühel and had the delays, heard the helicopters. I was up there at the start when Brooker did his ragdoll um, we didn't see it because there was no television at the start, but we've all been there when someone's been injured and had to race and get in that starting gate. Um, what was your mental outlook knowing that, you know, one of the fellow racers might be be hurt, but it's your time to race? Um, I was uh, watching uh, Daniel Albrecht when he crashed. Uh, I w he was skiing so good uh, in the beginning of the season. And I wanted to see him. To, to know how it goes on the, on the strife. And uh, when I saw him going in the air on the final jump, uh, I turned my my, uh, my head and didn't watch, want to see the crash because I saw he gonna crash. That was maybe the first key, uh, not seeing the crash. And uh, then took time to focus again. Uh, but uh, I, I have no idea how I did that. Uh, also by Grooker crashed really hard. I didn't see the crash. I know it was a hard crash. But I didn't see it, and uh, it's it's like um, yeah, focus on yourself, uh, keep calm, wait until they say uh, we're gonna start again. Maybe get some info from the coach that you know it's nothing with the course himself. Uh, it's more because athletes make some mistake. Um, but the the final jump by um, um, Daniel Albrecht was really really tricky one. He was like a that kind of a little lip. 
I saw that at the inspection and now I saw him going over the, the jump, I, I realized, oh, he's going to crash. As soon as he jumped out, after five meters, 10 meters, I said, he's going to crash. Uh, but it's, yeah, it's it's hard moments to to focus again. Uh, that was a training run by Daniel Albrecht, so make it a bit easier. Uh, you can you don't have to push so hard in the training run, so you can see uh, how it happens. AJ, you've been in the start with helicopters. How did you get through that? Yeah, I mean, you got to focus. Um, you have to sort of ignore it. You can't ignore everything. You have to acknowledge that it's happening, but it's just, you know, as a downhiller, it's always in your mind that, there's a consequence to what we do, but at the same time, your approach is always about, about racing and it's about executing your plan, your line. Um, you know, Didier said something earlier about how quiet it gets at the start of Kidsville. And I, I absolutely agree. I mean, no place else was like that. I mean, in my years, and, and Didier, you'll know this because you race with him too. Gadina was the kind of guy that as he got more nervous, he got more noisy. He started yelling and goofing around more and all this. He was the only guy you could hear at the start of Kidsville because everybody else was really quiet. And then there's Gadina, his voice, and he's, you know, goofing off with people. And that was just the way he dealt with it. Right. But um, yeah, I mean, you know, I, I definitely was, was iced in the start a few times with, with uh, people crashing and, and that you can see the helicopters, you know, taking them away and they're on a little string below like this. Um, it's tough. It's it's very difficult because you have you always wonder in the back of your mind where did they crash? What caused them to crash? What do I need to do different so I don't crash? But I mean, in, in the end, the bottom line is is you're always on the edge of crashing, so you just have to go and execute the best you can. Marco, any experiences with you at the start? Yeah, for me, it was the year that Scott McCartney went down off the finish jump, and I was up in the start watching that. And when they unfortunately, I did watch the whole thing. And they cut the TV feed when he was like convulsing in the finish. And we, we didn't know what had happened. You know, we thought worst case, maybe he wasn't going to survive, you know? And so we were at the start, they held it for about 30 minutes to get him out of there. And uh, when I finally did get to go, I remember I was on the style hung and I was just still not really focused. I was just trying to, trying to make it down. And I realized like, if I don't really focus on this, like I'm going to be in the hospital next to Scott, you know? So I was able to dial it in. And um, that was actually the year that I got sixth. That was my best race, but I think it was um, just kind of what uh, Didier said. You got to convince yourself that that racer crashed because of a mistake that they made. And I'm not going to make that mistake. I'm confident in my plan and uh, just execute and hope for the best. <laughs> For my, my plan at the start, I never watched anybody else. I never watched the TV feed. I didn't want to be thrown off by what Marco just said, another mistake made by some guy that was was a big catastrophe on the on the track, you know, resulting in a crash. Um, I didn't want to have any other stuff mixed in my head. So I relied on just the coach's reports, you know, stick to our plan. If something changed there or one of my athletes, you know, like on the team, get a radio report up about like, you know, the speed or the, you know, the jump being bigger or smaller, or you could push the line a little bit, a little more. I just stuck with that. I didn't want to have any outer influence, you know, from uh, any outcomes during the race. So I know a lot of people use it and it's good information, but I think just the way I dealt with every race was, was just communication between my team. And that was, that was it. That's why I kept it too. 
actually if i can add to that uh i was only always picking up one guy that i knew he's going to be really good like that's why i picked up uh, daniel albrecht Grooker, i didn't i didn't watch him i, I maybe watched another one but uh it was for me one guy who was pushing hard, skiing well, and so you know a bit how about the speed, the jumps, and everything. But I, yeah. I was, I stick to you. Uh, it's 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 like a, I didn't want to be a, a spectator. I didn't want to have that role as spectator. I want to keep my my role as uh, one of the downhiller who have to to risk uh, his 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 life down there. Didier, I don't know when you ran on your wins, but did you ever run early and have to wait? and wait and wait at the finish to see if you would win and what was that wait like at Kitzbühel especially actually not really waiting long uh, I, I also raced those years where you had the top 30 reversed right. uh, I raced those years where you had the top 30 training reversed and um, at the end it was like uh, the group between 16 and 22 that was the top 7 guys so when I came down, uh, if I saw if I saw the uh, green green light, uh, I knew uh, there is a few guys on the top, and uh, it was about maybe one hour wait, half hour waiting, but not nothing because of a start stop or something like that. And uh, it was a very intense uh, minutes, very intense. To me, it was the most treacherous one out there. The, it's the highest risk. Um, it took a lot of um, guts you know, and skill and then full commitment. And I still think that you can see the top guys who have a chance to win, how they approach, like kicking out of the start gate to Mouse Folly. Just that, you know, you just kind of see something different in those like really fast guys. And that's a, like, to me, that's what I just love. I just live for that. Doug Lewis here. If you are a U12, U14, or U16, elite team fitness camps are for you. This is not your average fitness camp as we teach the vital skills of sports psychology and sports nutrition, along with tough, challenging workouts. You will leave camp with more power, strength, and agility, with a deeper understanding about nutrition, and with the mental skills of confidence, focus, and pushing limits, which will take you to the next level. Over our 30 years, we have coached Olympic champions, World Cup stars, NCAA champions, including USK teamers Michaela Schifrin, Lauren Masuga, Alice Merriweather, Jimmy Krupka, Grace Henderson, and Sammy Worthington. And finally, although we push our limits to the edge, we have a ton of fun. We are holding two week-long sessions this July at the Killington Mountain School. Find all the info at EliteTeam.com. One story that has always stuck in my head, I want to make sure I brought this up, was I think it was in 2005 um, or maybe another year, but uh, we were snowed out one day and I was, I wanted to go ski and there was no one on the team that wanted to go skiing. So I went up to the top and started cycling. Maybe on the second run, you and I hooked up and we rode the chair together. I'm like, where are your teammates? He's like, no one wanted to come ski. And uh, I think you brought up the point where like, Hey D, you know why we kick ass here in Kitzbühel? Cause we love skiing. <laughs> and, right. and, and we got some good like uh good laps skiing powder and just like had a good release and and um that stuck with me for a long time and i think that's that's so true i mean growing up in the west here with marco i mean it was all about free skiing growing up and and we still do it to this day and and um i think it's just something important especially for a downhiller yeah, and it, it was really fun that day I, I remember that day uh like it was yesterday and uh 
especially also the, the victory you had in Kitzbühel in front of me. Uh, I'm always happy for the guys who have good result and, and come safe down. That victory, it was one of the victory. I was really happy to be with you on the podium. Hey, Marco, were you in uh, uh, 2010 Olympics? Uh, yeah, Vancouver. Um, okay. I don't know if you were part of that, but talking about free skiing, I remember it was raining at the finish and it was powder up top and everything got canceled and I was announcing and I said, oh my God, I'm going to get the best powder skiing ever uh, because at the Olympics, you know, there's no public, the racers, if they have a day off, they don't ski and the workers are on the course. So I went up there and I was going to have Whistler to myself with like two feet of powder and I went up there and I was late. It was like you, I don't know if it was you, but it was you and all the downhillers went free skiing on your super G skis or something. And I just remembered, here's the guys a day before, which could be their defining moment and they're free skiing. Well, remember they actually delayed that race by like a week because the weather forecast was so bad that they just said, we're going next weekend. And so I think it was at least like five days that was delayed. And we were just out there like having amazing skiing for all those days. And in hindsight, maybe we enjoyed it a little too much. <laughs> like we were just going like bell to bell on the free skiing and it was amazing. But uh, yeah, we lost focus a little bit maybe. <laughs> I think that's really important that true champions, true skiers will take that opportunity to free ski uh, when they can. And that sets them apart. Um, we've talked about the Mouse Folly, the Style Hung, the Hausberg. But what are those secret spots? Maybe the Larkinschuss, maybe it's the flats, Didier, you can start. You know, you can't forget about them because you can maybe not win the race, but you can lose the race there. Yeah, I think uh, it's very important to, uh, um, it's not always the shortest line who, who is the fastest, but uh, especially in that middle middle part, uh, ski smooth, let the ski goes, uh, be really clean on the, on the edge and being really compact in the took and um especially uh like you said darren uh, at the start you can see who is going to uh, to be fast on the top and maybe win the race uh for me it was very important first gate not going too much left and making some plays to have the first turn and the second one before uh before you jump going straight to the first one making a short turn second sharp turn and go jump over the Mausefalle. And those kind of turns uh, are really important. Also, the last uh, three turns before the Ausberg Kante. If you make too much too much line over there, uh, first, it's like uh, you are making line to give your time to think about what is coming. And uh, it's not the approach you have to have uh, over the Ausberg. So I was trying to push myself to go not too straight, but really straight on those three gates. And uh, especially the last turn, the left foot, where you make that traverse, you make the turn and you have the Osberg. Now it's more turny than maybe for 10 years ago. But uh, that one, the last uh, right turn goes to the left turn before the Osberg. If you go from down up to place yourself, to give you space, to have a nice jump over the Osberg, uh, you fight against the the law of uh, of the hill, so I forced myself to really come as I come out from the right turn, put the ski flat, go straight to the next gate, and cut that turn. And doesn't matter where you come out, you make that turn 
you don't have to be at the gate as the Ausberg. You have you can be one meters, two meters, but just make the turn really sharp, and that makes some speed to the finish. And uh, from there to the finish, it's almost nothing you can do uh, better than the other ones. Just just do right and and go to the finish. You just gotta float over those little bumps there on the side hill traverse. Yeah, style. Now you brought up a good point. Um, not over skiing that stuff, and as you come uh, finishing that right footer above Oberhausberg. You know, you're 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 going straight at that gate and trying to make a really, I mean, almost like a GS style turn, like bend that ski, but you're going straight at that fence, yeah. that left fence, you know, before the Red Bull Arch now, and uh, you're trying, you're just basically like making up that line. But I felt like if you did that, it linked up the jump better and then into the traverse because it didn't give you time, you know, to have any like stall, mm -hmm. you know, like you know, just a moment to like just sit and wait. If you're going in the really direct and straight towards the fence, you're pushing hard, then you got to release. So you suck up that, like, most of the flight off Hausberg uh, Conte. And then just seem to kind of, like, put a better flow going into the compression leading into, in the, uh, into the traverse. You agree on that kind of mindset? Yeah, if, if you, yeah, exactly. If you have too much time, if you put, if you have space to make that last uh, right, uh, left foot and you finish too early, you have to think, time to to think about uh how should i relieve or should i relieve or should i go should i make more direction or not and if you if you're a bit straight in that and you you commit yourself to really go in a sharp turn then uh it's it's coming just instinctly right that taking the pressure off uh taking the jump and and uh, and maybe some imp improvisation about how it comes out then you make the next turn into the traverse differently that you maybe thought about by the inspection. You guys are talking a lot about above Hausberg, but I always thought landing and then the right footer committing through the compression and over the jump there under the traverse was, I mean, that was one of the scariest turns. And what did, what did you think about that, Didier? Or was that just full commitment to the right ski? Uh, let me jump in here because I, I called, uh, for NBC, all these races, and for sure, Didier, maybe I'm wrong. I always thought you ended up, you go over the Hausberg, you take the right, you come over that jump. It seemed like you always somehow ended up higher, so you could just flow down the hill to that gate. I don't know how you got there, but it seemed like that's where you would always secure the wins because you weren't fighting the hill, you were actually going down the hill across that traverse. Yeah, that's after the, the change that Marco was mentioning. But uh, skip to that. Uh, stick to that. Uh, the, the traverse. It's very important to go straight in the traverse and not fighting to keep the height. So then you have to make it just after the Ausberg in that turn to stay high and to at the end of the traverse can let the ski goes and take the hill with you to make some speed to the finish. There, there is two different uh, way to ski this one, but I think now it's almost impossible because they set differently. But in the past, when they set it like that, it was like uh, you have maybe the line De Fago when he won uh, 2009. He was extreme. He jumped ex extremely on the left, and he didn't go back in that compression. He went straight, made a sharp turn, and almost no compression there. As as more as you went left, you had more compression. And I always decided to go, go somewhere right, in the between. Right, with more uh, right, right foot. 
as soon as you more go right, you have more compression. So I decided to make something in the middle, but more on the uh, left half of that to get less pressure, less compression, and to have a cleaner turn to make the speed into the traverse. I think uh, everybody remembers the crash of uh, Axel Lund's Vindal in that. He had a bad edge mistake with the skis, but he was really skiing a bit too much uh, right. So he got a lot of compression there and no chance to recover there after that uh, edge mistake. What do you think about the new the new way they set uh, this part of the of the hill? Like it's like uh, one one turns more, and uh, I think it's uh, it's not uh, it's not really Kitzbühel anymore on that part of the hill. I agree. I I wish they could somehow control the speed or do whatever they want to do a different way. I wish it was run eighties and nineties and Ot style for sure. It takes away from the tradition, I think, a little bit. You know what downhill is all about, and um, it's to me. I think I want to see these athletes get pushed and tested. They're the best in the world. Like give them, give them a challenge. And if you're not feeling comfortable, it's a way to kind of like have the guys that have a lot of confidence step ahead a little bit. They that gives them a chance to kind of shine a little bit. The more challenging it is. The bigger the jumps, the more aggressive the ski needs to be. Didier, I wanted to ask you a little different uh, topic, I guess, but we've talked a lot about the mindset and the tactics. But with what about your equipment? We always kind of heard that you were really sensitive with your boots, uh, that you would you know, maybe make small changes depending on the course or the snow. Was that a big factor throughout your career or at Kitzbühel? Uh, through the career and maybe also in Kitzbühel, but uh, through the career, I think uh, with a good discussion and, and set up with the serviceman, uh, how sharp the edge are, uh, which section under the feet, how long is the section really sharp under the feet, plus the, the angle of the of the boots. Um, just an example, I, I tried to make it short. Uh, the world champion title I had in Super G in, uh, in Val d'Isère 2009. I, I prepared one boot the two nights before the race with a higher lifter, uh, softer on the top, a technique like giant slalom on the bottom and more angle like uh, outside to have more grip on that really, really icy, steepy, steepy uh, hill. And um, that boots just went that race. I won that race. I tried it in Quitfield in training runs. No chance to be fast with that one. And that's uh, a bit uh, an example of what, uh, what I was doing uh, with the boots, but that was a very, an exception. And uh, in Kitzbühel, um, I also have a, a bit a uh, story about the ski. Uh, 2011, when I won uh, with uh, 9800s, uh, the week before in, in Wengen, I didn't want to, to take this to... The, I tried the ski, it was really bumpy, and I didn't want to keep that for the race. I said to my uh, serviceman, Chris, uh, you can you can let that in uh, in the keller to to house uh, in your house, and he took it with because he knew it's gonna be a really fast ski if the weather is getting a bit warmer, and I really didn't like in Wengen because I was shaked like uh, yeah I had no no control on my turns, and uh, the night before he told me uh, two three tenths uh, faster than the second ski you have to take this one, I said okay go for that and uh, I took this one. Uh, it was like uh, challenging for me even before the race because I was thinking I don't like that ski, but I I I have to manage that ski, and uh, combined with the boot setting, 
it was the perfect run, uh, maybe my perfect run uh, on Kids Go. You mentioned your serviceman, Chris Krause. Yep. You know, that guy is intense. I thought you were intense in the start game. I looked at you, but I, I have a, you know, he went to GMVS where I went to school as well, back east. And he was, that guy was crazy. Like he would like guard his food when he ate, you know, and like wouldn't want like a caged animal. <laughs> but like, <laughs> I mean, he, he put a lot of work in to your program. I know that, you know, did he have any um, input in boots or was it just hundred percent skis that he worked with you on? He worked on the skis, I worked on the boot, but we were talking the whole year about what are you doing, what I'm doing. And uh, I was trusting himself uh, about all the, the skis he prepared and uh, which key, uh, you know, he knew every single number of those 50 skis I had in down in Super G and GS. I, I knew the half of them, the best, the best ones, but he knew, he knew everything. And I think... Uh, Without Chris, I wouldn't be so consistent in the in the World Cup in the last six years. Uh, six years by head, it was maybe the most consistent time of my career, and uh, a big big part of the success belongs to to Chris. It's impressive, yeah. Why do you think you were so dominant in Kitzbühel over everybody else? I have actually uh, not not an idea. Uh, I'm still thinking sometimes now why uh, it was so consistent there um i think when i realized 95 first time i went there uh i realized what does it mean uh being there and being at at your own limit and don't not knowing where you have to go to be faster and um like it's i don't know if you say that in english but having the back uh, um it, it it takes you all what you have to manage a course like that and um it was crystallizing my myself uh, and i brought always the best i think on a, on a very dangerous course like kidsville that's the only way i can explain this it seems like it brought out the best of your skiing exactly it brought out the best of my skiing uh, when i realized how intense everything in you know, how dangerous everything didier can you explain what it was like to get that first place trophy to win at Kitzbühel and what that meant to you because I've only seen it so please try to describe what it was like uh the first time I get that trophy we were still uh having the prize giving ceremony in in the town like in a in a street we was going in a T form and he so much people I I got almost scared to get to get out and in in and out from there and I think they realized that's too narrow and it's not enough place for the prize giving ceremony. And after that, they, they started to make it in the finish area around the tower. And imagine uh, during the race, you have 50,000 or 60,000 people who are looking the, the the race and then everybody's go off that. There's nobody there. And then in the evening, 25,000 people comes out of the town to to look uh, and and to look you taking the trophy in the end and to fire you up it's uh it's very hard to describe uh it's it's uh it's kind of a big honor to be there and you have austrian fans but you have fans from everywhere around the world and also a lot of swiss guys uh, were coming there and uh yeah you feel you feel kind of proud uh, to be there on top and uh, uh celebrating that with uh a lot of friends, a lot of coach, 
uh, a lot of uh, other athletes and uh, everybody is going is is going to enjoy that moment uh, the top 5 always good to be uh, on uh, on that podium there thank you didier a super honor for all of us to listen uh, to you uh, talk about kits buell you are the king of kits and uh, we'll see you on the slope somewhere thanks for listening to our american downhiller podcast special thanks to the king of kits didier kush who won the hanukkah downhill a record 5 times Please spread the word about the podcast. Share with your friends, coaches, teammates, and your club. You can find us either on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. And thanks to our American Downhiller sponsors, ADL Ski Club, Wen Wax, Elite Team Fitness Programs, and American Downhiller Camps. Stay tuned for more American Downhiller podcasts. For AJ, Darren, and Marco, thanks for listening.